Welcome to the New York Startup. I'm Zach Firestone, and I chat with founders, investors, and other key players in the startup ecosystem. You can find us at thenewyorkstartup.com or on Twitter at VNY Startup. Today, we are thrilled to have Chinadu Echiruo as a guest on the show. Chinadu is a true serial entrepreneur, and I'm going to list just a few of his many, many accomplishments. Number one, he's the founder and CEO of Tripology, which exited to Rand McNally. Actually, it's now owned by USA Today. He's the founder and CEO of Hopstop, acquired by Apple in 2013 and now integrated into Apple Maps. He's also a Harvard MBA with an extensive background in finance, including at JP Morgan, AM Investment Partners, and as a partner at Constant Capital Partners. And these days, he's a self-titled dreamer at MindMeet, Love & Magic, and Startup School of Alchemy. So we'll dive into much of this. But Chinadu, it's really an honor to have you today. Thank you, Zach. Thanks for inviting me on your uh, podcast. Absolutely. So obviously, you've accomplished a tremendous amount. You know, those are just the bullets. So let, let's unpack them. What's your story? What's your entrepreneurial journey? How did you get into this whole world of entrepreneurship? Sure. Uh, so I came to, um, to the U.S. when I was 16. Um, I'm originally from Nigeria, as you mentioned, but I always had an interest um, in finance and an interest in uh, entrepreneurship. Uh, so I was lucky enough to, um, to have a mother who encouraged me to to look at entrepreneurship. Obviously I had an, an urge to be an, an entrepreneur, uh, but I remember talking to her and I had this, I was working at JP Morgan then, and uh, I called my mother and I said, look, you know, I really want to be an entrepreneur. I, want, I was thinking about leaving uh, JP Morgan. And she said, well, you know, the entrepreneurs uh, solve problems. So before you leave your uh, steady job, make sure you have a problem that uh, you wanted to solve. So that's really, uh, was the impetus of leaving uh, JP Morgan and then obviously going to a uh, business school. The, when I finished business school, my main focus then was to be an entrepreneur. I didn't interview uh, once. I was just clear that I was going to do my own thing. Uh, Create uh, many companies, many uh, didn't succeed, um, or many projects that didn't succeed, but I eventually ended up working for a hedge fund um, in New York. And then that bug to be an entrepreneur came back and uh, I left and that's when I started uh, Hopstop, uh, which as you mentioned, uh, was sold to Apple. Uh, but so when that happened, uh, my main focus then was, okay, how can, uh, what just happened? How can this process of creation happen regularly? Um, what are the things that I did right? What are the things that I did wrong? And why can't um, human beings as a, as, a, as a people, as a group, um, recreate the process of um, entrepreneurship much faster, much easier uh, for our collective benefit? And so that's when I started uh, the Love & Magic company uh, to do that. Very cool. And looking forward to definitely dive into your current work at Love & Magic in just a couple minutes. But I, I want to back up. There's, there's so much that we just went over here. You mentioned Hopstop. I think Hopstop is, is probably one of your most famous accomplishments. You know, it was acquired by Apple. Um, you know, on a personal level, I moved to New York six years ago. I didn't know anything about a subway or a subway map. A friend of mine said to me, hey, you've got to download Hopstop. I said, okay. You know, I put in where I had to go. It said, go to Grand Central, take the sixth train to 33rd Street. I didn't know what any of that meant, but I followed Hopstop, and that's how I got to where I needed to be. So, first of all, thank you for building Hopstop. Thank you. Second of all, um, I think I remember you telling me quite a while back 
that the way you thought of Hopstop, you were on your way to a date, maybe on the Lower East Side. Just take our audience, if you can, through kind of the brief journey of how you got the idea and how you brought it to fruition. Sure. So uh, let's uh, back up almost 20 years ago when I first moved to New York City. Uh, not for the first time, but I uh, moved back to New York City. And there wasn't uh, Google Maps, at least Google Transit Maps uh, back then. People used to walk around with, I'm not sure if you remember those pocket guys that showed you the subway. So it was incredibly unuser friendly. And for someone like me who was spatially challenged uh, in terms of being able to get around with directions, it was, it was hell. <laughs> it was hell for me in so many ways. So, uh, so I was going on a date on the Lower East Side. And uh, as I'm sure you know, Lower East Side isn't like a midtown. They have very different, uh, <laughs> works yeah there's no grid there exactly yep. so it was it was hell again <laughs> but anyway i got lost and i decided look there has to be a solution to this problem of getting from point a to point b uh so the next morning i woke up went down to the subway station picked up a subway map laid it on the floor of my apartment uh then in brooklyn until okay, like, i have to figure out how to describe this subway system to a developer, a software engineer, so he can uh, or she can crack it. So um, to really solve the algorithm and uh, to give you some point A to point B. Obviously, it was lots of work and redoing and rethinking of how to do that. But essentially, that's how it happened. I was just out of my own personal frustration in terms of figuring out how to not get lost uh, in the subway system. Wow. So the true scenario of an entrepreneur solving his or her own actual problem. So what did you do next? How did Hopstop turn into such a famous platform that when I, a random person arriving in New York, everybody told me, you've got to use Hopstop. And then, of course, from there to, you know, it capturing the attention of a company like Apple. Sure. So, um, so remember, I was leaving the hedge fund, so I didn't have, uh, I didn't have tech experience. I'd never started a company before. So it was, it was tough initially just because I had to learn so much and all the information that's now available on YouTube and Google wasn't there, you know, when I was starting Hopstop uh, for, for the most part. So it was a pretty tough experience, but I think I locked out on a, on a magnificent level. So I, once I figured out how to describe the subway in an Excel spreadsheet, which is, which is all I could use back then, I actually put it up on a marketplace called Elance. Uh, Elance is now called Upwork. And in that experience, I bumped into a, a genius developer um, who really, two of us combined our superpowers to really uh, build uh, Hopstop. So I never met him personally for the first four years of working on Hopstop. I would just email him pictures and diagrams or you or changes to the user experience um, I wanted him to work on and he would you know he would do it so um, it just really talks about what's possible in this age of global co-creation so um, I only met him for the first time five years or so after Hopstop when he moved uh, to join Hopstop in New York we uh, we just continued fixing and improving and going from um, Manhattan only to to the five boroughs, then to DC, to Boston, uh, but it was uh, it was a labor of love. I was I was I was definitely obsessed uh, with the product experience, and I think the reason why people recommended Hopstop to you back then was probably because they had used it, they were happy, they wanted to share with their friends. So that's really, I think, the key. And many times the 
you know, the product development is really find a product that people are, are so passionate about that they'll tell their uh, tell their friends. Absolutely. And then given, you know, what a labor of love that it was and how passionate you were, was it difficult both with Hopstop but also with Tripology, you know, um, when that company was acquired to sort of give up your baby? Uh, no, I, I mean, obviously, I think this is an issue that uh, I think many entrepreneurs uh, are faced with. But for me, um, I didn't have that. What I was more concerned with was that the quality of the experience would be preserved. But uh, I think of business like a form of uh, creativity, a form of, uh, of creative expression, just like a painter after painting a, a masterpiece or a work of art is okay uh, selling it. Uh, I feel the same way about about businesses. The idea is um, the main joy I get out of out of life is the, is creation itself. And uh, I think if I have an opportunity to do that, then I feel good. Uh, obviously, the financial returns are good as well. But my primary compulsion as a human being is just to create. Beautiful analogy with the painter. I like that a lot. So today, like we mentioned, you're at Love and Magic. You have your startup school of alchemy. You're giving back to new entrepreneurs. What can you tell us about what you're up to in those organizations? Sure. So when Apple uh, purchased uh, Hopstop, again, as I mentioned, the goal was to for me to stop, step back and think about, well, what sort of life uh, would I want to live? What if I could design a life? What would that be? And um, after giving this a lot of thought, I realized that a life were helping people bring whatever outcomes they want in their lives, making their stories come true, make their desire for wealth or abundance or whatever they want in their life possible, then there should be technology. It should be someone's job to help remove the complications and the complexity that comes with creation. And that's what Love & Magic Company was focused on. It's like, how do we create businesses that help creators create to remove those obstacles or help them overcome those obstacles uh, of creation. So that's really the, the basis of love and magic. And that imagination, that human imagination, that human creativity was actually the most potent uh, way to achieve those goals. So, but when we started, where I realized that it's not that easy. So obviously even with Hopstop, I had learned so many lessons with Hopstop, but what I realized uh, working on, on MindMeet, which was our first uh, company, the, the entrepreneurial journey is scary. It's complicated. It takes so much effort to achieve. What I vowed to do was to understand that process and to really deconstruct the process of entrepreneurship so that when we do create other companies or when other entrepreneurs want to create other companies, they have a more robust uh, framework of just a more helpful tool to shed light on that scary journey of entrepreneurship, to arm them with the tools and the information and the frameworks to cross that jungle of entrepreneurship uh, more successfully. And so that's what the Startup School of Alchemy is, a distillation of this scientific view of entrepreneurship in a way that um, can I can guide entrepreneurs uh, to success. That makes a lot of sense. And it's very impressive. I was recently speaking with another entrepreneur who was sharing with me, you mentioned scariness. He was sharing the scariness and really the loneliness of being the founder of a company. You know, there aren't many people to whom you can maybe turn. You're sort of alone at the level where you operate. It is very, very important for founders to have access to other people, people they can come to as mentors, people just to talk to, or people like yourself who have obviously done it and done it multiple times. 
Just in case somebody in the audience is interested in connecting with you to explore some of the services you offer, what, what are some of the examples of how you would get hands-on with one of these companies that does come to you? And by the way, how would they get in contact with you about it? Sure, sure. Um, so it's um, Startup School of Alchemy. So StartupSchoolofAlchemy.com is the website. So we have an online course uh, that teaches the methodology in steps. But then we also, as part of that, there's also weekly coaching sessions with me uh, where I help the entrepreneurs walk through um, whatever challenges uh, they're faced with. The real um, insight is this. Um, everyone's read lean and, and agile and, and all that stuff. But what's uh, what I've found as an entrepreneur is that how do you make it practical on a daily basis, right? How do you take this whole build, lend, merge, uh, measure model or the scientific process and make it something that's part of the DNA of your startup? I think that's really the challenge for most entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurship is hard, but it's even harder when you don't have a system that's robust. My mission two, three, four years ago was to like, I'm going to be the best in the world is understanding the, the physics or the science of product development of, of startups. Because I think that knowledge would save many entrepreneurs, you know, years and thousands of dollars uh, if they had better clarity of how to do it efficiently. And I'm sure, as you know, the startup success rate is pretty low. I think the, some estimates are 75% of startups fail. So that, that number is, is ridiculous. And why is it that high, right? So what you find is that the process itself is, is so murky that entrepreneurs could spend literally two years of their lives um, in futility. And so what I vow to do is to come up with a... A, a model, a truly robust model uh, that can describe the, uh, like a scientist would, right? The structure of, the, of a startup and that you should be optimizing or improving so that uh, like any other process, you can create a, think of it as Six Sigma meets startups. Probably that's probably the best way to describe it. Absolutely. By the way, it's funny that you mentioned the Lean Startup. I've read it, of course. I have it sitting here on my desk. Yeah, it's a great book. It's a it's a wonderful book. I read it and it made lots of sense to me. But what I found was like when when you're on ground zero of your idea, uh, that loop is is fine theoretically, but there are all kinds of things you need to think about: storytelling, product development, design, early customers. <laughs> Those are all things that uh, for you to do a good job at being, you know being an entrepreneur or a CEO or a founder of a company. Uh, it, it behooves you to to better understand the system you're building because uh, it's not just the product, it's not just your MVP, it's, it's a much more complex system than that. Absolutely. What advice would you offer for minority founders, uh, maybe women founders, people who unfortunately historically have had a, somewhat of a more uphill battle, uh, founding companies in particular with obtaining financing? What would be your advice for people in that situation who obviously deserve the same chance as everybody else and are, are trying to make it just the same as anybody else? Yeah, so I'm glad you asked that question. I think just given uh, what's bubbled up in, in the United States uh, with the Black Lives Matter movement, it's, it's a point that I think it's worth um, every, all of us really spending time on thinking about. Uh, so my general view is that if you want to see the uh, discrepancies or the differences in wealth, you should look at the differences in information. So to cut at the heart of 
this inequality of access to information is actually one of the things that my needs uh, goal is to share information uh, more widely. Uh, so there are conversations that are happening in Silicon Valley that aren't happening in, you know, in the deep south, for example. The practical advice is it's all about networks, right? So uh, people networks is really where this kinds of information flow. So the best advice I can give uh, women or people who just haven't been fully represented in the, in the sphere of economic activity is to tap into existing business and social networks. That's where the insight about uh, the types of startups begin to start companies that make sense or, or even access to being a co-founder in an early opportunity. Those are really where those connections are made. So I invest in, uh, in professional and business uh, networks. That's probably the most uh, significant advice I can give. Definitely. It's obviously of top importance. And it's very nice to see that a lot of very well-known players are speaking loudly about the need for change to happen. It's nice to see that a lot of large venture capital firms you know, around the country are really taking steps forward. They're not doing it perfectly yet, but it's good that things are starting to change. What would you say in general about your take on the New York startup ecosystem? I mean, I think you've done a lot of your building here in New York. You know, what are your thoughts on specifically the New York startup ecosystem? Um, I actually don't spend much time thinking about that. But if I had to answer the reason why um, I'm in New York, I love New York. Uh, you know, I've lived here for uh, so many years and my kids are here. And so uh, I think it's vibrant. And I think it's rather than the location, I think what's important is also the network, right? So if you look at where venture capital flows, where this level of innovation happens, it's really about networks. So there's mm -hmm. Silicon Valley network, there's the New York Metro network, probably there's the Boston um, as well. So those are three very vibrant networks. So if you frame economic activities through the lens of networks, you realize it's not really just the physical, the physical location helps um, ground the network. Uh, but um, the, the the value of the network is really more than just the physical location. So I think of there's there's a physical layer of New York, but there's also a social and information network, right? So I think that probably represents what uh, New York truly is from an entrepreneurial perspective. There's a network of entrepreneurs, investors, business people who are sharing information and, and cooperating and trusting each other uh, for this, the magic of Silicon Valley or the magic of the New York tech scene to, to happen. And I think that's what, uh, for people um, um, like me, thinking about how to redesign uh, wealth creation, um, I think we should be thinking about how we can replicate these networks, uh, not only physically in, in the, these other markets, but try to create equivalent networks uh, that are virtual. Absolutely. What are your thoughts on how the current COVID pandemic has impacted the startup ecosystem? You know, a lot of startups have had to fold as have larger, you know, more established businesses. Uh, but then there's also the notion that in a recession, you know, a lot of very creative people come up with very creative new ideas. Yeah, no, that's that's exactly right. So obviously COVID has been a, a shock. I've never I never thought I'd experienced anything like this. So it always always reminds you of the, the presence of the, the black swan, right? You, like life is so uh, is so unpredictable. Uh, so obviously, it's hopefully it's forced uh, some insights and uh, self uh, 
contemplation of, of what people want to truly do with their lives. And then, um, so that's one, I think that's just one that I think accrues to, to society in general. But uh, these, uh, this, this constraint of communication and movement, it clearly creates huge opportunities. I think Zoom, the, the, the platform we're on now, is a perfect example of the opportunity that COVID uh, can bring. But I think we're in the early days of um, seeing where the, how those problems can be fixed uh, with technology, from transportation, for communication, for um, to basically upgrade our lives from a from an analog um, lifestyle, which uh, you know a big part of our lives, right? So now many of these interactions can now happen uh, virtually, forced to co-create in a more seamless and yet human way is still a holy grail in my mind in terms of what's possible. The redesign of the cooperation, of the cooperation, for example, is I think a wonderful place to start, just making it more human and allowing people to have a more human experience, yes. adding economic value to society. I think it's probably the biggest uh, possibility. There's so many of our constraints were just based on tradition, the fact that People woke up in the morning, got into the car, and went to work, right? So now, with this forced uh, change of behavior, I think it's really loosening up people's minds in terms of all the different ways of the, the way work uh, could look um, in the future. And, and obviously, as of a magic perspective, um, we're all about uh, what that new, new form of human cooperation could look like. And so in many ways, this, this has furthered that um that that progress absolutely and then lastly what other general advice would you offer entrepreneurs maybe people who are already working on startups maybe people sitting at home during this pandemic and contemplating building a startup but they haven't taken that step yet any thoughts in general sure I, yeah i have i have many but i'll share probably the the most like the the uh, the most powerful um i think uh, advice i could share and that's really that of science, right? So if you think about the difference between human beings now and human beings even 2,000 years ago, 1,000 years ago, even 500 years ago, you realize that much of our progress has really come from the scientific process, right? So we've been able to figure out what happens in quantum systems. We're figuring out what happens to stars, you know, billions of, 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 of light years um, away from Earth, right? So the power of science to help us understand what uh, to find truth is something that I think many entrepreneurs, for some, uh, not for some reason, uh, haven't really uh, focused on, right? So science is is the way you discover truths, and as an entrepreneur, that's what you're in the business of. You're you're in the business of understanding the truth about what your customer wants, what marketing message will increase lifts. Uh, what what engagement strategies will flatten your retention curve? What value proposition would would interest investors? Uh, so we're all uh, truth seekers, but um, to basically to apply the scientific process to whatever you do as an entrepreneur is probably um, the biggest advice I can give um, those of um, your listeners on the call. Is uh, and, and and the scientific uh, process is pretty simple, right? You you guess. <laughs> Well, I guess you observe, you guess, you check, and you act, right? You just repeat that process over and over again. It would remove 
much of the waste and the mental anguish that uh, that entrepreneurs uh, face as they go through this process of, of starting a, a new company. Absolutely. Wow. Amazing advice. Thank you so much, Chinadu, for coming on to the show today. Really a pleasure. Always a pleasure to chat with you, but especially a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you very much, Zach. Thank you and congratulations on the podcast. Uh, wish you the best and take care. Ladies and gentlemen, once again, that's Chinadu Echiruo. I encourage you to visit startupschoolofalchemy.com to see what Chinadu is up to now and learn how you can learn more from him. What an honor to have him on the show. Thanks again for listening to The New York Startup. I'm Zach Firestone. You can always find us at thenewyorkstartup.com and follow us on Twitter at VNYStartup. Make sure to subscribe to the show. Looking forward to catching you on the next episode.